Dinner is a time to connect, nourishing the body and the mind. I'm not an experienced chef, but easy to follow recipes and pre-portioned ingredients from Blue Apron help me create a restaurant quality dinner at less than $10 per person per meal. And we're enjoying dishes like skillet vegetable chili with cornmeal and cheddar drop biscuits, or soy glazed pork and rice cakes with bok choy and marinated green beans. One of my favorite things about Blue Apron is that I can customize the menu, so I'm serving meals the whole family will enjoy. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country, and you can find out why when you check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash already gone. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash already gone. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You are listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. Tuesday, December 9th, 1997. 23-year-old Lainey Gwinner meets up with friends at a local bowling alley. She shot a few rounds of pool, had a couple of beers, and left just after midnight headed to her boyfriend's nearby apartment. Lainey won't arrive. In fact, she'll never be seen alive again. As the year drew to a close, Alana, Lainey, Gwinner had a lot to be happy about, a University of Cincinnati student who was working her way through school. She was pleased to learn that she did well on a particularly difficult exam, and she'd just received news of a promotion from her employer. Lainey worked at Telco, a communications company in Blue Ash, Ohio, one of Cincinnati's northern suburbs. Lainey had a good life. She was attending school, had a job where she was well-liked and respected, a new boyfriend, and a close circle of friends that she enjoyed spending time with. She was young and in good health. She loved to go dancing with her friends. She was particularly enthusiastic about line dancing. Lainey was an attractive young woman with long brown hair, hazel eyes, and a warm, friendly smile. That night, she'd made plans to shoot pool with friends at a local bowling alley. Lainey arrived at Gilmore Lanes in Fairfield, Ohio, after 9 p.m. She was dressed in jeans, a blue-green sweater, and boots. She enjoyed a couple of beers and a couple of games of pool. Around midnight, she called her boyfriend, Mike Hawkins, and told him that she was headed over. Her friends saw her exit the bowling alley, but no one saw her once she left the building. As for the visit to Hawkins' apartment, Lainey never arrived. Gilmore Lanes is located on a main road, and the parking lot is easily visible from the street, but no one saw what became of Lainey or her car on that December night. Her beloved sports car, a black two-seater Honda Civic CRZ Del Sol, Ohio license plate AKP3607, was missing as well. When Lainey didn't show up for work on Wednesday, there was some concern. Not showing up and not calling in was out of character for her. Her friends could not reach her either. 
Lainey lived at home with her parents, and when she didn't return after a day or two, her father filed a missing persons report. When Fairfield police talked to Chuck Edmondson, the owner of Gilmore Lanes, he said that he didn't know Lainey, but he'd seen her shooting pool that evening with a young man he thought was her boyfriend. Fairfield, Ohio is a safe area. The idea of someone being abducted from a well-lit parking lot along a main street? Well, no one considered that. Fairfield is a middle-class bedroom community north of Cincinnati, and this sort of thing doesn't happen there. Until it does. On Saturday, December 13th, friends and family held a vigil in the parking lot of Gilmore Lanes. They were hoping that someone remembered seeing Laney on Saturday, or would spot her distinctive car, the two-seater convertible, black with tinted windows. The good news is, after the vigil, tips rolled in. Police checked out dozens of reports of a black Honda Del Sol, and with each car they investigated, they took the time to check the vehicle identification number to make sure it wasn't Laney's car. And it never was. Laney and her sporty little car had vanished. Police questioned hundreds of people, Laney's many friends, people from work, from the bowling alley that night, her family, her boyfriend. Nearly 100 lie detector tests were issued in an attempt to narrow down their list of suspects. But everyone passed. They had no body, no car, no crime scene, and one missing girl. About 10 days after Laney disappeared, Fairfield police made a visit to Brooksville, Kentucky to compare case notes. Brooksville had a case that was eerily similar to Laney's disappearance. Erica Lee Frazier was a 17-year-old girl from Brooksville. While Fairfield is in Ohio, north of Cincinnati, Brooksville is about an hour's drive south of Fairfield. So if there was a killer in the area preying on attractive young women with long brown hair, this case fit the profile. Erica was a senior at Bracken County High School and had a part-time job at a pizza parlor. Like Lainey Gwinner, she planned to study accounting. On October 21st, 1997, around 9 p.m., Erica left the Video in Tan store, which I'm guessing was half video store, half tanning salon, and... Erica wouldn't be seen again. Her black 1988 Bonneville SSE was found abandoned and unlocked on October 22nd. A search of the area around the vehicle turned up her car keys a few yards away in a pile of leaves. Erica would never be seen again. Police looked hard at 21-year-old Shane M. Simcox, someone that Erica knew socially, and Simcox was rumored to be with Erica and in her vehicle after she left the video store that night. Simcox has a criminal record and refuses to take a polygraph in her case. He insists that he was not involved in her disappearance. And law enforcement has no evidence linking him directly to her disappearance or to the disappearance of Lainey Gwinner. Simcox lived on the fringes, moving frequently and taking odd jobs. But at the time Frazier vanished, it's rumored that he worked on a hog farm in Bracken County, Kentucky. About a year after her disappearance, one of Erica's acquaintances, 28-year-old Chris Minear, shot his girlfriend, schoolteacher Carmen Moorhead, and then himself. I know how suspicious this looks, but keep in mind that he was ruled out prior to his death. Minear had an alibi for the time of Frazier's disappearance. Looking at the Frazier case in light of the disappearance of Laney just an hour north, you can see why police wanted to explore any possible connections. 
at five foot six, one hundred fifteen pounds, with long light brown hair and blue eyes, Erica looked very similar to Laney, and like Laney, Erica was dressed in a sweater and jeans at the time she disappeared. In the days before Christmas, a generous cash reward was established in the hopes of finding Laney Gwinner, twenty-five thousand dollars for information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone involved in Laney's disappearance. The reward was posted by a local welding firm, J. W. Harris, Laney's brother David. That's where he worked. Christmas came and went with no sign of Laney. I'm certain that her safe return was the Christmas miracle they were praying for. When the new year arrived with no news and no sign of the missing woman, hope dwindled. But the Fairfield police had a plan. In the first days of January, police in Fairfield explored a new angle. They sent search teams into Joyce Park, a 313-acre park in nearby Hamilton, Ohio. The park is large, with recreation areas, many sports fields, and hundreds of acres of forests, all bordering the Great Miami River. The park would be a good spot to hide a body or launch a small black sports car into the river. At the end of the day, searchers left empty-handed. There was no sign of Laney or her car. In the first days of 1988, a tragedy unfolded just across the river in Kentucky. This brought unexpected answers to Laney's family and to investigators. In the early morning hours of January 4th, Officer Mike Parton of the Covington, Kentucky Police Department responded to a request for assistance from Kenton County Officer Brian Kane. Kane had pulled over a suspected drunk driver at the foot of the West Fourth Street Bridge in Covington. The driver fled the scene on foot, and Kane was pursuing him. Parton drove up from the other direction and exited his vehicle to assist in apprehending the suspect. At this point, Kane and the suspect were on the walkway of the bridge. When Parton vaulted over the edge of the bridge toward the walkway, he miscalculated, and he slipped through the gap between the bridge and the walkway, falling about ninety feet through the darkness and into the Licking River. Kane and the suspect were horrified as they watched him vanish into the icy January waters. No matter how strong a swimmer Parton may have been, a fall from that height into frigid water, survival is unlikely. Between the impact of hitting the river and the weight of his duty belt, it didn't look good for the young officer. Despite the darkness and the late hour, rescuers responded immediately by boat and on foot, with divers taking to the water at sunrise. Parton's body was not found. His family and fellow officers would wait months for him to be located. It was during a January 11th search for Parton's remains that a body was spotted in the river, but it wasn't Parton. It was the fully clothed body of Laney Gwinner. She was found near Sugar Bay in Warsaw, Kentucky. She was in the Ohio River, about forty miles downstream from the Great Miami River that runs through Fairfield, Ohio. Gwinner's body showed no signs of trauma, and an autopsy was scheduled. They found Laney's driver's license in her pocket. She was fully dressed and wearing a white T-shirt and jeans. When her body was given a cursory look as she came out of the water, there were some injuries—long scratches on her back and torso—but it appeared that they were caused by sticks or other debris she encountered while in the water. Her autopsy was performed on Monday, January twelfth, at St. Luke Hospital in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. It was difficult to determine exactly how Laney died. She hadn't drowned. 
There was no water in her lungs. There was no sign of sexual assault. Her cause of death was eventually listed as strangulation. Laney was murdered before she went into the river, and there was no sign of sexual assault. A memorial service was held for Laney on January 17, 1998, at St. John Church. The service was crowded with family, co-workers, and friends. March of 1998 brought Laney's 24th birthday. Instead of going line dancing, a memorial was held in her honor. Being able to lay her to rest should have brought them closer to finding out who took her life, but with any evidence on her body being washed away by nearly a month in the river and no sign of her car despite several searches using divers and sonar, there wasn't a lot to go on. The police didn't have a crime scene to start from, putting them at a disadvantage. April brought news from the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation. Fibers and other evidence retrieved from Laney's remains could help them pin down a suspect. Meanwhile, the reward for information leading to the arrest of her killer was increased to $50,000. On December 11, 1998, a vigil was held to mark the one-year anniversary of her disappearance. The vigil was a celebration of Laney's life and a reminder to the community that the person who took Laney away was still out there, walking free. Years later, in the spring of 2006, Fairfield Police turned the case over to the Cold Case Division at the Butler County Sheriff's Department. This is where investigator Frank Smith joins the search for Laney's killer. Frank Smith is a seasoned investigator, and he is one of the best cold case detectives in the entire country. Smith takes the case back to square one and reviews everything. He's determined to find her car, which is likely on the bottom of one of the rivers or lakes near Cincinnati. Smith also visits several prisons. He talks to suspects and chases tips and leads. Someone knows who did this to Laney. Someone knows where her car is a vehicle that law enforcement believes holds evidence that will lead to her killer. Hoping to spur new leads and refresh memories, the Butler County Sheriff's team has six billboards featuring Laney's case prominently displayed in and around Fairfield and Hamilton, Ohio. They also reveal to the public that they believe Laney was in her car when she died and that both were dumped in the river. Laney's body was initially protected inside of the vehicle, but she broke free, allowing her remains to be discovered. In 2006, the focus is on finding someone who requested a ride in those early morning hours after she left Gilmore Lanes. If they could find the ride seeker, then they could find her killer. Someone who drove her car to a secluded spot and pushed it into the river. Laney didn't get there on her own. June 2006 brings an unusual tip, paperwork discovered in a Florida home that could be related to Laney's case. Police keep their cards close to the vest and little is revealed about the search aside from possible connections to both Ohio and Laney's murder. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources and the Manchester, Ohio Volunteer Fire and Rescue Boat Crew have participated in numerous dives trying to identify the many cars they've located using sonar. They have yet to find the black Honda that Gwinner was driving. This week, I connected with one of Laney's friends, someone who knew her well back in 1997, and the following is our interview about Laney's case. But before we talk to her, let's check in with our sponsor. 
Whatever the season, Mod Cloth's got you covered. Snag a new swimsuit for that summer getaway or a cute cardi for those first signs of fall. Mod Cloth's signature line of apparel comes in a full-size range, from extra, extra small to 4X. So it's never been easier for you to find your perfect fit. Need a little outfit advice? Just reach out to their amazing team of mod stylists for free sizing, fit, and styling help. Effortlessly transition between seasons with summer styles that stay perfectly preserved for fall. Go to M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H dot com and enter promo code GONE at checkout to get 30% off your order of $100 or more. Snag your next style obsession at ModCloth. My name is Joy. I met Lainey back um, in the late 1996, I believe, but we became uh, really close friends in 1997. I actually met her where most girls meet in the bathroom of a nightclub that we hung out at. Uh, it was the first conversation that we had. We knew each other, you know, obviously because we'd been hanging out at the same place for quite some time, but I remember our first real conversation, and I think we ended up staying in the bathroom for 20 minutes just chit-chatting. And then as time went on, we kind of became better friends, and once Lainey and I really became good friends, we were we were pretty inseparable most of the times. So we had a, a really good bond together and um, really connected very quickly. Were you both dancers? Yes. So it was both... much better, but yes, we were. <laughs> okay, so I I did read how much she enjoyed line dancing and that she was wouldn't pass up an opportunity to go out dancing and that she was quite good oh, at it. Oh, and and you know at that time that was what we did. You know, we did it a few nights a week. It was you know I guess you would say all the craze back then. Plus, you know, we were in our early twenties and we liked to go out and and have fun. Um, so we did dance a lot and. Um, that was, you know, that was kind of what brought brought Lainey and our whole group of friends together. It was outside of, you know, friends that she obviously had throughout her throughout her life, but um, and some of the new people that she had met recently, it was it was all there in our in our dancing and love of cowboys and rodeos and. Well, and people don't think of Southern Ohio or the Cincinnati area as being the South, but Cincinnati is very much the South. You're right there at the Kentucky and West Virginia borders, so it's it's more south than it is Midwest. Now, the night that she was last seen, she was at Gilmore Lanes, and I understand that you were not able to go out that night. You weren't feeling well. Correct. Um, and Lainey and I had, I mean, this was the first night that I really hadn't been out with her, and I wasn't feeling well. We had talked earlier um it was all, you know, everything was okay. She was going out with our friend. He was really the only one that could get out that night. And so um, they had went out. Gilmore wasn't somewhere where we normally ever would hang out. But she liked to play pool a lot, and it was the only thing that was open that night. So that's kind of where they ventured into. Okay. And she was out that night with Shad Jackson? Correct. Okay. Chad was a group friend of ours. Um, he had dated another friend of ours for a while, but we had hung out with him, and, and Lainey had dated a friend of his. Um, we hung out with Chad for, for 
a few years, you know, our group of friends did. So it, that wasn't anything that was uncommon that she was out, would have been out with him. Actually, I think it was two or three nights before uh, she went missing that Chad, Lainey, and I all were out as well. Okay. So he was just part of the circle of friends that you would go dancing uh, with or hang out with in the evenings? Yes. Okay. When she left Gilmore that night, she left just after midnight to go to her boyfriend's house. And it sounds like from news reports that she had called the boyfriend and said she was coming over. And then I read some conflicting reports that said when she didn't show up, he drove up to the bowling alley to look for her. Is that, am I, did they present that correctly? No, I don't think so. I know that she called me before she was leaving. I was asleep. I got her message in the morning. Um, but she had left on my answering machine. You know, I didn't think anything of it, obviously. I erased it afterwards, but she had just left a message and said, just wanted to let you know that I was going to Mike's house because a lot of times she came to my house to stay. So the next day, I, I believe she called Mike shortly after that. She had made two phone calls, told Mike she was coming, and she never made it. And uh, it's I don't recall hearing that he drove there um, afterwards. It was more of later in the afternoon before we all even connected later that day to realize that something was gone. I don't think Mike thought a lot about her not showing up at the time. They were fairly new and kind of dating, and it wasn't always, it wasn't, sometimes maybe out of Lainey's character to change her mind at the last minute about something. Okay, so this was a, a sort of new, maybe more casual relationship. They weren't like long-term and committed oh, yeah, or anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lainey and Mike had just met each other. I want to say that it was towards the end of mid-October, towards the end of October. Okay. Um, and they were really just, you know, they had grown a friendship. They were dating each other, but... It wasn't super serious at all. You know, we're, we're, they were only about six weeks into it. So, and they both had just gotten out of some other relationships. So they were really just more so hanging out with each other, you know, and, and dating casually. Okay. I mean, I think that if things wouldn't have been any different, they would have ended up maybe dating for a little bit and being friends. But I, I, I don't. I think they would have had a nice bond together because they were very much alike and got along and made each other laugh, but I'm not sure it would have been something long-term just because they both had some past relationships. They, But it was the next afternoon that people sort of said, wait a minute, she didn't come home, she didn't go to Mike's house, she didn't go to work, something's wrong. Yeah, what kind of played out throughout the day, you know, I got up in the morning, I heard her message, again, was like, okay, she went to Mike's house. Uh, I went to work. Usually I talked to her sometime in the morning. You know, she would call my work or I would call her. I hadn't heard anything from her. And I called her work, and her receptionist said, you know, she's not here, and that's very out of character. Uh, we're a little worried, and she hasn't called her anything. And, you know, really in my mind I was thinking, Really, she's playing hooky. You know, her and Mike took the day off and went and did something. I didn't even know Mike's phone number at the time. I actually thought that I had his pager number, and it was the wrong one that I was paging. Uh, talked to a couple of our other friends, and then as the day kind of went on a little bit later, 
called her work again and her receptionist called back um or you know we had had some banter kind of back and forth during the day and and it was kind of like okay something's wrong you know and reached out to some of the other friends to see if they had heard from her none of them did finally got in touch with Mike and he hadn't either and we all kind of knew at that point something just didn't seem right because it wouldn't have been all day you know and if she wasn't right. at Mike's house or my house or or one of the other girls, I, it, something wasn't really right. We called her house, her, her parents' house. They hadn't heard from her. It just, we knew something was wrong then. Okay. She was living at home at the time then? Correct. And then when did the, who placed the call to the police that she was a missing person? Do you know when that happened? Her dad did, and it was a couple days later. Uh, we had went to one of the police stations, talked to them. Her dad filed a report. They didn't, and it was out of the Westchester location. It kind of them had to do, I guess, with jurisdiction. They moved it to, they said, we need to get Fairfield involved because that's where she was last seen. Right. Um, that we knew of because, obviously, Shad had told us the last time he saw her was, you know, when she walked out of the bowling alley. Um, that all kind of played out for a couple of days, and you know, at that point, we were all pretty panicked and pretty determined that something was not right. It had been a few days. We were able to also, on our own, we had a friend who worked at the bank that she banked at who snooped around in her bank account, and there was no activity or anything, and Lainey did not carry cash. She carried her her debit card, which was pretty new at the time. They were just coming out, or she used her ATM card or something, you know, or a regular credit card. So she had never made any withdrawals or anything like that. So we definitely knew that something wasn't right by then. I think it was at that point that we started kind of calling the news outlets and and they picked up on some things. And, you know, that kind of gets everything, gets the ball rolling a little bit with the police station to take things a little bit more seriously because I don't think that it was taken serious initially. I think it was more of she's... 23-year-old woman who went somewhere else. Right. And she seems, from the photos that I've seen of her and her little black sports car, she just seems like such a fun person. Oh, she was very fun. She was very fun. She was very fun. She was very kind. She was, uh, you know, a good time. Lainey was very sweet. She loved to laugh. She had the cutest laugh ever. You know, she was just, she was a good person. And she lit up a room when she walked in it. People noticed her. She was obviously, you saw the pictures of her. She's very attractive. But there was something about her and her smile and just her whole demeanor. She didn't go unnoticed ever. I encourage listeners to take a moment and look at the website and see the photos that I've posted of Lainey because she was just a really pretty girl with just a sweet, happy face. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about when she was found. I have two questions about this, and I apologize because I know that this is probably more difficult than I realize for you. But two things that I found that I didn't understand and I was hoping you could give me some clarity on. One, I've seen that she was found by a helicopter pilot who spotted her in the water when he was searching for that Michael Parton, the police officer that had drowned in January. And then I've also seen that a tugboat worker spotted her and brought her in. 
I think it was kind of a combination of both. Um, I think I I may be a little wrong on this, but some of that at the time was a little bit of a blur to me, as you can, you know, imagine. I think they were both working on the same thing, and I think she was spotted towards the same time because the tugboat was the one that ended up, I believe, bringing her in. So, okay, and then. The night that she disappeared, she was wearing a blue-green sweater, jeans, and boots. And what I've read is that when her body was recovered, she was wearing a white T-shirt and jeans. Right, and that's what we were told as well, and it never seemed to really play out to be anything. I think it was suspected that maybe she had on a white T-shirt or something underneath her sweater, and I may be a little wrong with that, but that was not anything that really ever came out to play that seemed to be odd or anything during any of the investigation. Okay, so it wasn't like she was wearing somebody else's shirt cuz December it's chilly, you're you layer even, you know. Correct. Right. Right. So I don't think that um you know initially I remember when that was told it kind of was in your head like how was that? But you know, she was in the river for so long, some of her clothing, you know, could have been ripped and torn, and so I think it was very possible that she, you know, did have on multiple layers. As you said, it was December, so. Okay, and then another question about her body being recovered. I've read that they theorized that she was in very good condition she, when she was recovered from the water because she'd been in her car. Correct. That I mean, that is the theory that has always been there, was that um, she was in her car for some period of time before the body, for, before the water pushed her body out. Okay. Because um, it was protected and it wasn't, you know, she wasn't in um, You'd expect the state to... of somebody who had been floating down the river for a period of time. Okay. And then also the... I remember the Honda Civic Del Sol because I desperately wanted one. They were so cute. Mm-hmm. And they had a little, they were a little two-seater with like a narrow snap-on convertible top. Correct. It, 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 but it was a hard top that sort of clicked into place almost like a big Lego piece. Uh-huh. And I could see that if the vehicle was in the water where that top could have popped off as the little car sort of made its way. Right. And I, I, I think, and I mean, everything I believe from the autopsy and just their investigation leads to believe that she was definitely put, you know, put in in her car and protected by that. Do you have any information or a theory about where her car went into the water? I really don't. Um, I think it went, I mean, the only thing that I do believe is that her car did go in somewhere around the Great Miami River where the bowling alley was. Okay. Um, it, which isn't too far, you know, from, from where the bowling alley is located or where we hung out. Um, I actually, at the time, lived about four or five blocks from it. Uh, so that's that's where I think she went in, somewhere in the Fairfield area around there, maybe a little bit further. I, I, I'm not really sure, but I think it had to have been that, and she floated somewhere, you know, down the way, given where she was found. Yeah, because she traveled quite a ways to Warsaw, Kentucky, is I believe where she yes. was found. 
We talked about her boyfriend, Mike, and we talked about Shad Jackson. Do you believe that either one of them are involved in her disappearance? Absolutely not. No. Okay. You, do you I think both of them have a really hard struggle. I mean, Shad was the last person who was with her, so I think he's always struggled with the guilt and, you know, why didn't I walk her out to her car? And Mike struggles with why didn't I go look for her when she didn't show up? And, you know... For him, like I said, with it being a casual relationship, this is this took a toll on him for a long time, especially being the center of attention for a long time. And I think even, you know, the boyfriend's always the first, right? Right, the, that's who they look at, the boyfriend it, or the husband. Yeah, and I mean, I still think that there are times when people look at him and wonder. And he's, you know, he's had to had to deal with that as well. And I think sometimes Shad had to for a long time being the same person, you know, being the last person that was with her. And I think that's a big burden that, that they both have had to live with. And, I mean, it's kind of the same for all of us. We have some type of guilt in it. You know, I'll, I'll forever have guilt that I did not go out with her that night. Why didn't I go out with her that night? You know, I mean, I know I was sick, but what what reasoning and what would have changed if I would have been there? Would this not have happened or would something have happened? You know, and I think that's what we all still struggle with a lot. And, and for Shad and Mike, I think it's multiplied by by 100 on, on the way that they feel about that. Now, do you have uh, do you have a theory as to what happened to her that night? I have about 100 of them. <laughs> I really think that maybe somebody came out in the parking lot maybe said something to her, had the intentions of trying to do something to her, and I think that, you know, she may have said something back or fought back with them. And part of me thinks that, I I, I would like to believe this, but I do think, I don't think that maybe somebody meant to kill her. And I think that maybe whatever was happening maybe got out of control. And they did. I don't know if they were looking to maybe sexually assault her and something went wrong before then, but I just I just would like to believe that somebody didn't set out to kill her specifically. I completely understand that. Well, and if you can imagine, over 20 years almost, I have come up with a hundred different scenarios in my mind, but that's pretty much the one that I always, you know, obviously come back to. Yeah, that maybe they wanted her or they wanted her car, but not the way things ended up. Right, right. And I don't think it was somebody that had been in the bowling alley, per se. Um, I mean, maybe they did follow her out there, but I think everyone in the bowling alley was accounted for and people knew people. And I, I just think by now something would have came out about that, you know, Um I think this was somebody that was in the parking lot looking to do something or, or I, I don't know, something different. And maybe the way two things I wanted to, to mention based on what you've just said. One, I remember reading, I think it was Mr. Edmondson owned the bowling alley. Reading about him in the paper, he mentioned specifically that the bowling alley was like cheers, that you know everybody knew each other. And he knew people, the people that were still there at 11 o'clock, midnight, 1230 that night. And then also that the bowling alley, I'm picturing it on a main road where the parking lot is very visible. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's on a main route. Um, 
it, the parking lot is very visible, and it's also next to a BP gas station, which may not have been BP back then, I don't remember, but it was still a gas station. And it's at a very high-profile kind of intersection. So somebody could have been walking past. They could have been at the gas station and saw her, just a, a crime of opportunity, if you Correct. will. Absolutely. Is there anything that you would like people to know about Laney or about the investigation that you would like to share? I just hope that if anybody knows anything, that they would say anything. I mean, her family got cheated out of a life with her, knowing, you know, watching her get married, her having kids or finishing school and her job. And, you know, her parents died before they ever found out what happened to their child. She was a sweet and kind person. She had a very good soul, and she was a very strong, strong, strong woman, and I just wish that I would have had a chance to see where our friendship and our lives would have, you know, grown together, because I'm 100% sure we would still be involved with each other. It's sad. It's sad. So much was, was taken away from everyone in some sense, and and again, mostly, you know, with, with her family and it's it's terrible situation and here we are almost twenty years later and we're nowhere closer in knowing or having any type of closure. It's still just a book that's open that's you know, doesn't seem like we're ever gonna get to the end. Yeah, and her brother's alone now. It's just him. He is. And and you know, he he since has a family and and it's sad that he doesn't get to share his joys with her either. Detective Smith, who was the cold case investigator, sounds like he worked the case very, very hard when it came to him. And he did. And he's, you know, we had a tough time. Fairfield took on the case and didn't do a real terrific job at it. I mean, maybe it was lack of experience because we really didn't have any murders in Fairfield that were like this or any missing cases and and things didn't really go great. And by the time Butler County took it over, you know, I think it was seven years at that point had passed. And, you know, you're starting over and Frank has done his best. He has since retired over, you know, a few years back and he still has involvement, and it's still in his heart and his mind that he will get this solved at some point. He he really worked, Frank really, really worked hard on this case, and, I mean, he had her best interest at heart, her family's, ours, and, and he was pretty determined. They spent a lot of hours and a lot of money on it, but, you know, sometimes... A lot of time had went by, so it just, they were up against a more difficult situation, obviously. One of the things that jumped out to me was that her, um, Lainey surfaced after a big snow melt. Yes. In January. You know, as we're recording this, uh, Hurricane Harvey made land last week, and Hurricane Irma just made land yesterday and Sunday. And I, I would like to think that maybe with all the rain that's coming north and into the Great Miami and the Ohio Rivers, that maybe her car will finally make an appearance. 
it would that would be a, a very great miracle. I mean, it would be something that um, I I think would make the world of a difference. You know, I know it's been a long time, but I still think just finding the cars got to give them some type of confirmation as to you know where it did go in and if there is anything around it or, or anything that they can get out of that. I think it's a big it's a big key in the case. Right. Right. Well, we can. Hope. I think. Yeah, and I think for myself and and you know my other friends, I think finding the car would also be a little bit of closure for us as well. Yeah. And even if the case isn't solved, I think it would just give us a little bit of. I don't even want to use the word peace to know, but just something to know so we could put some pieces together. I I agree, because it feels like her case is this big puzzle, but we're missing a quarter of the pieces because we don't have the car. Correct. You know, I don't know how much a convertible is going to give up 20 years after the fact, but just having it, maybe we'll find out that she was in a fender bender after she left the bowling alley and and someone grabbed her, you know, something totally Mm -hmm. unexpected happened. Right. Right. I, I, I do. There's something about the car that I think is going to be the link to everything. And I believe that's what, you know, everyone thinks at this point, again, you know, it's been so long that you try to still think for the positive, but there's been so many letdowns kind of in your, you know, in your mind over, this time frame that um, hope isn't always still there. You know, sometimes it's it, it gets a little depleted. Absolutely, it's it's been a very long time, and I would like to think that if we if we could get some closure or some answers, that Lainey might rest a little bit easier. I would hope so. Now, I understand that you run a Facebook page for Lainey. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's on, on Facebook. It's Justice for Elena, Laney Gwinner. It is a public group, um, and we would like if anybody, you know, has any interest in reading more about Laney after they hear this or to know any more about the case or has any uh, insights or thoughts to it or obviously any type of information to go on and, and click like and join the group and, and uh, learn a little bit more about what a terrific person she was. And I'll put that information out not only on my Facebook, but on the website, www.alreadygonepodcast.com, so that if listeners want to take a look and join the group and show their support, they can do that. As of September 2017, almost 20 years after Lainey Gwitter walked out of Gilmore Lanes to meet a terrible fate on a cold December night, there is no closure to her case. The Butler County Sheriff's Department is still working the investigation as tips come in. There has been no sign of Erica Frazier. The high school senior never picked up her last paycheck, and her remains have never been found. Erica's mother passed away in 2011 without knowing what became of her daughter. Officer Parton's remains were recovered in the spring of 1998, 134 days after his fall. A Cincinnati native and graduate of Northern Kentucky University, he was buried with full police honors. The driver who ran from Officer Kane, 
20-year-old Shanta Michael Robertson of Cincinnati was convicted of manslaughter and Parton's death. He was sentenced to six years in prison. Robertson was vocal about his remorse for his role in the officer's death, and he appealed the sentence. He was paroled after serving two years. If you have information about the disappearance of Erica Frazier, please contact the Kentucky State Police at 859-428-1212. If you have information about the murder of Lainey Gwinner, please contact the Butler County Sheriff's Department at 513-785-1234. Please visit our sponsors, ModCloth. Go to M-O-D- C-L-O-T-H dot com and enter promo code GONE at checkout to get 30% off your order of $100 or more. Snag your next style obsession at ModCloth. And Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash already gone. Don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash already gone. Blue Apron. A better way to cook. If you haven't had a chance to leave a review, please take a moment to do so. Reviews help other listeners find the show and learn about the stories covered here. Thanks go out to Kay Ziegler, Bob, Quicha, Crunchy Gordita Crunchbell, and Eliz NYC for their five-star reviews. If you have comments, questions, or feedback, you can email me, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. You can find me on Facebook or on Twitter at AlreadyGonePod. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. Thank you for listening, and please be safe. Thank you.